Father, we thank You that uh, all praise goes to You because everything good that is happening is happening as a result of the work of Your Gospel in us. And Father, continue to magnify that power. Lord, make it do more and more greater and greater works within us. We don't need moralism. We don't need well-intentioned kindness. Lord, we need to have You change us from the inside out. Lord, to make us not people who do kind things or good things, but to make us kind people, good people, by the power of Your Gospel. Lord, may that dominate our thoughts as we talk about this important topic of marriage this morning. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, Amen. I talked to my wife this morning. I'm really anxious for her to get home. I don't know what it is about her being gone, but I just don't do well. I don't do bad. I I just don't thrive. But they are having a great time. We're talking about uh, marriage and we're trying to identify the missing pieces that um, exist, sort of the jigsaw puzzle that we get when, we're, um, when, we're, when we say I do and we stand before the preacher and we stand before, in my case, my bride um, in the presence of God and witnesses and we're, it's like we're handed this jigsaw puzzle. And on the picture, on the picture on the front, by the way, I hate jigsaw puzzles, but that being said, on the picture on the front, you have this great picture that's, uh, that's kind of put out there for you. This is what it's supposed to look like, you know? This is what it's supposed to be. And marriage is about taking all the pieces out of that, that box and then putting them together one piece at a time. And at some point, we realize that be it for whatever reason, some pieces may seem to be missing in that box. Or maybe we just lost them, or something took, you know, one of the kids ran off with them, whatever it may be. And uh, I'm trying to identify what are some of the missing pieces that I've noticed in people's lives and people's marriages over the years of ministry and working. And what, you know, what are some of those common pieces? You know, what were some of the things that I was missing um, as I was uh, starting out in marriage and going through the process of growing in marriage? And one of the big pieces that I've identified is the piece of friendship. We started talking about that last week. But I want to start out by reading this quote. It's a little long, but it's by probably one of the best, one of the top ten books on marriage I've ever read. It's by Tim Keller, The Meaning of Marriage. He's a Presbyterian pastor back in uh, Manhattan, New York. But he says this, The reason marriage must have a priority is because of the power of marriage. Marriage has the power to set the course of your life as a whole, right? If your marriage is strong, even if all the circumstances in your life around you are filled with trouble and weakness, it won't matter. You will be able to move out into the world and into life in strength. However, if your marriage is weak, even if all of the circumstances in your life around you are marked by success and strength, it won't matter. You will move out into this world in weakness. Marriage has that kind of power, the power to set the course of your whole life. 
It has that kind of power because marriage was instituted by God. And because it, is, it has that unequal power, it must have an unequaled and supreme priority. And one of the first things to go when marriage slips on the priority list of our lives is that of friendship. We talked a little bit about that last week. Friendship, as I'm just going to review real quickly, friendship in marriage, and as well as friendship in all of life, friendship in the community of faith, friendship that is uniquely Christian, that is informed by the Gospel, is rooted in and empowered by the Gospel. And what I mean by that is this. Friendship is modeled by Jesus. Jesus told His disciples in John 15, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. I call you friends. And John 13-18 through is just an exposition of what that looks like. It was modeled by Jesus. He shows us what it is. If you want to know what it means to be a good friend, you look at the life and the actions and the heart of Jesus. Not only that, but we experience friendship with God through our relationship with Jesus Christ and the Gospel. And as we are converted, as we go through the process of conversion, we receive that new heart, that new life, we experience a different kind of relationship with God that, that no other person outside of this uniquely born-again experience can have. We begin to drink deeply of our relationship with God and our intimacy with God and through the power and the presence of the Spirit. And then something begins to change within us as He gives us this new heart and it begins to change us from the inside out. It's out of this well that I offer, out of this experience, out of this, the fact that I'm receiving love from God, that I am now able to love others with no strings attached. It is out of this love that I'm able to operate and say it doesn't matter what you do, how you receive this, I choose to love you anyhow. I choose to give you this love. I don't choose to give it to you because of what I've gotten from you. I choose to give it to you because of what I've gotten from God. It's out of this well that we experience and we are able to give our spouse and all friends this loving friendship. And as we go through this process though, it's not easy, right? Building friendship though with anyone, including our spouse or especially our spouse, is empowered by the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in our lives. In other words, he says in John 4.16, he says, if you love others, God's love will be made manifest in your life. It will be made mature. Um, what he's saying is this, the more I give away, the more I get from God. The more I'm able to love another person in a uniquely gospel, Jesus-oriented way, the more I'm able to give, the more I get from God, the more that love matures within my own soul. And I don't know how many of you have experienced that, but that's incredibly important. When I choose to love, I experience a relationship with God that empowers me to love to greater and greater extents. That's the important thing. Now, even though this is empowered by Jesus, 
it still isn't easy. Because as we choose to love, as we choose this loving kind of friendship with another person, all of a sudden, even though it's empowered by God, it's going to confront issues on the backstage of my life. Alright? It's going to raise up. It's going to expose my own selfishness, my own junk, my own anger, my own pride, my own judgmentalism. It's going to make me want to run because suddenly I don't want to deal with conflict. It's going to, it's going to expose all of this stuff deep within my soul. And even though God is standing there and He is empowering me and He's inviting me to take a, a route that is non-judgmental, that, is, that dies to my pride, that repents of my, ju- of, of my criticism and my critical spirit. Even though He invites me to that, I'm, I'm at a crossroads. I'm at a choice. Do I do? Do I love this person in spite of the backstage garbage in my life that will be progressively exposed year after year after year as I choose to follow Christ, as I choose to love as He loved, as I choose to experience His love, as I choose to be empowered by His love to love others, that's still going to expose the junk in my own life. Anybody experience that? Yeah, God. Well, how many of you experienced that? Say amen. One, two, three. Amen. 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 I could tell you a story, but just from this last week, but I won't. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't ask for permission from my wife, but she's not here, is she? I won't do it. It's too personal. <laughs> yeah. 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 How many of you find that you just argue about the dumbest things? That's why Paul says in Galatians 5, 6, he says this, he makes a statement. He says, in the midst of all the conflict and the things and garbage that you guys argue about, the only thing that counts, the only thing, not just the most important thing, but the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. This uniquely Christian faith where we see the modeling of love through Christ where we experience friendship with God through Jesus and where we are empowered to love by Jesus. That unique Christian faith in the midst of the heat of the moment, it causes us to step back and say, what would Jesus do? What kind of person would Jesus want me to be at this table? What kind of person am I going to bring to the table? Am I going to bring a person who is formed and informed by the love? Or am I going to bring the person that is formed and informed by the flesh of my spirit? Makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. See, friendship, especially in marriage, but friendship overall, takes more than just shared interest in physical chemistry. Okay, It takes a much deeper piece of us. And it confronts a much deeper piece of us. Building a healthy, genuine friendship with my spouse. One that is uniquely informed by Christ. Moves me. Moves me to confront some stuff. It moves me to confront my pride and engage and instead engage my spouse with humility and sympathy with humility and sympathy. In other words, if I'm going to have a uniquely Christian friendship with my wife, loving friendship, 
One that, as we saw last week, has been taught to us by God according to 1 Corinthians 4 or 1 Thessalonians 4, 9 and 10. One that looks like that. I must approach my spouse not with pride. Instead, I must, I must crucify my pride. I must repent of my pride. And I must choose instead to pursue her with humility and sympathy. Now, humility and sympathy asks one simple question. It takes me out of the, out of the framework because humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Okay? But humility and sympathy working together asks this question of my spouse or of any friend, but especially my spouse. What is it like to walk in your shoes? You understand what I'm saying? What's it like to walk in your shoes with me? What's it like to be married to me? That could be a scary question, couldn't it? (laughs) How many of you get shivers when you think about that question? I'm not done yet. (laughs) It asks the question, what's it like to walk in your shoes? You put yourself aside and you begin to put yourself in in the life, in the perspective of the other person. Now, isn't that what Jesus did? When He came from heaven to earth so that He could be a priest to us, He now understands exactly what it's like to be me. Exactly what it's like to be you. That's humility and that's sympathy. Philippians chapter 2. What's it like to be you? Now, in terms of working this out, it means I must be willing to listen to my spouse. (laughs) I must be willing to listen to my spouse. We all have blind spots, at least I do. Anybody here not have blind spots? How many of you have blind spots? Some of you aren't. No, come on. How many of you have blind spots? Larry? (laughs) I guess if you have blind spots, you don't even know they're there. Guess who God has put into your life to help you identify your blind spots, Larry? Who is that? (laughs) Darling, how's she doing with that? Good, 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 good. But we must be willing to, uh, to listen to our spouse and to ask them questions like this. What's it like to be married to me? That's humility and empathy. It's helping to expose how another person experiences you. It's helping you to, to deal with those things that might be barriers against you. But what's it like to be married to me? Do you experience me as a person who is being changed by the Gospel? You understand where I'm going with this? Humility and sympathy. Understanding where your spouse is and how they experience you. How about this one? What's it like to make love to me? Do you experience me as a selfish, self-centered person? What do you need from me for the two of us to grow as friends? What do you need? What's it like to be in your life, in your head? That's humility and that's sympathy. We could go and we could live life in a way that says, you know what, I'm going to 
just do the best with my wife that I can or my, my husband and I'm just going to live life based upon how I perceive she understands everything. How does that normally work for us? Men? It doesn't work so well, does it? It doesn't work so well. It doesn't work so well. Because my wife experiences me in a way that's different than I experience me. How many of you ever have ever seen a picture of you from the back? And how many of you have been shocked by what you saw? I have been shocked by what I see when I look at my back. I am really bald. <laughs> you see, I can only see from this point forward. I can't see what's going on back here. I am stinking bald. I've thought about bicking my head. Because there's just not much you can do with the little that's there. Embrace your inner baldness. <laughs> Marriage is helping you to have a 360 view of your life. Not just a 45 degree view of your life. And it's incredibly helpful because what that does is it helps us to remove some of the barriers that may be between me and my spouse. Very simple questions. You know, friendship within marriage requires, though, is fueled by a spirit of mutual openness around these issues. It's motivated, it's informed by openness, by discovery, by acceptance. Um, it has a heart that says, I want to know life from your perspective. And I want you to know life from my perspective. I want you to know life. And as I discover you and as I discover me and as we discover each other, I choose, I choose to love and accept you with no strings attached. I choose to love and accept you regardless, regardless of where you are. I choose to love and accept you. It has a heart that says, I want to know you. It has a heart that says, let's not hide between, behind walls of self-protection because of fear and past pain. It says, let's walk in the light together towards Christ. It says, let's walk in the light in mutual openness so that there's this free form, this free flow of information and discussion and discovery between us. That takes humility and sympathy. One thing I have found to be true in marriages between a husband and a spouse is that over time they start sharing, they stop sharing their discovery of who they are as individuals and who they are as a couple and they don't seek to listen to their spouse anymore and discover how their spouse experiences them. 
and then to grow together and instead because of pain, because of criticism, because of whatever, backstage junk. They begin to build walls of isolation. Proverbs 18.1 speaks about how the foolish man, the foolish man pushes people away over time. He pushes people away. He builds walls. And he fights against all sound judgment. Now what does that mean? He fights against all sound judgment. What it means is that he is removing from his life the very core of what he needs most in community within the body of believers, within community, within marriage. And so we live life with these walls all around us and these self-protective walls. And we may live under the same roof and we may even sleep in the same bedroom. But there is no... There is no mutual understanding and acceptance and pursuit. C.S. Lewis said, "Eros, eros, the Greek one of the Greek words for erotic love, enjoys naked bodies, requires naked bodies, but friendship, Philadelphia kind of love, friendship love, requires naked personalities." In other words, there's an openness there. There's an openness. Approach your spouse with sympathy and humility. And begin to understand life from his perspective, from her perspective. And have this mutual discovery. Have this mutual discovery and walk in the light. John speaks in 1 John 4 about walking in the light and there's a sense of openness and freedom that's there. No hiding. But we must also be willing to learn from our spouse. If he or she tells us what we don't want to hear, it doesn't mean we shut down and we get angry. It doesn't mean we become defensive and accusatory and say, well, if you say this, then I'll, let me tell you what I think. That's not it. Again, Proverbs says, Solomon says, wounds from a friend can be trusted. Wounds, words that are spoken with well-intentioned hearts, with a heart that says, I'm on your team. Sometimes they may hurt, but Solomon's point is this, they're needed. They are needed desperately. They are needed desperately. And they need to be received without mutual accusation. They need to be received as a gift so that we can engage one another with humility and sympathy. Humility and sympathy. We also need in the midst of this we must not only learn from our listen to our spouse and learn from this but in the midst of this process of mutual discovery and learning and listening, it's very, very important that we pursue wise mentors. You know, someone asked, I think it was um, someone asked the question last week, 
what was what were three things? What are three things that you wished you would have that you know now that you wished you would have known when you first got married? Great question. And I thought a lot about that this week. And one of the things that I wished I would have known when I got married that I know now is this one thing. There were several things, but this one thing. Pursue wise mentors. Um, you know, again, Solomon says this in Proverbs 13, He who walks with the wise grows wise. Solomon is very emotional as he writes this. You've got you to kind of scratch beneath the surface. And he's very emphatic because he's telling, he wrote Proverbs for his son. He wrote Proverbs for his son. And he's very emphatic as he pins with these words. And as you understand why, you, run, you quickly understand and realize that he's emphatic and he's persistent on this because it's not the only place he says it. But he's persistent on this because this is a piece of advice that he did not apply to his own life. And he's reaped, he's, he reaps a lifetime of regret because of that. Wise friends, he says, basically are catalysts, are essential catalysts for growth and for wisdom. And without wise mentors, you're never going to be able to grow wise. As you pursue a friendship with your wife, as, with a friendship with your spouse, it's important for you to be able to look around you and say, who has the kind of marriage that I want? Who has the kind of marriage that I want? Hebrews 13 speaks about how leaders, you know, those who are looking for leaders, um, those who are watching leaders, he says, watch the outcome. Look at the outcome of their life. Look at the outcome. Look at the fruit that is produced. He says, consider their way of life. Consider it. Consider it. Make sure that as you, if you're going to follow something, someone in a way that, that Proverbs describes, if you, want to walk with the, if you want to be wise, walk with the wise. You need to look at the outcome of their lives. You can't just choose anyone. Pursue, pursue someone who's grown mature over the years rather than has just grown old. How many of you have ever known someone who in their life, may, they may be in their 50s or 60s, but you look at their life and they, you think, wow, they have some knowledge, but really? They just, they're, they're not what I'm looking for. Many people start to grow in their Christian life and their Christian walk. They start to grow with wisdom and understanding for the first couple of years and then they stop. And then they just repeat those first couple of years for 50 years. And they become sort of perpetual spiritual adolescence. That's not the kind of person you want in your life. You want someone in your life who has grown through the various seasons. And as a result of those various seasons, they've grown wise, they've grown mature. They've grown up. They've grown up. These are the kind of people that you want to become. Consider the outcome of their way, way of life. He says also, he says, make sure as you look for mentors, make sure that you speak with people and you invite people in your life and they're willing to listen to both sides of the situation of their lives. 
What I mean by that is this. I don't know how many times I will have someone who will come, and I have done this, and I'll, they'll, I'll hear one side of the argument. And I think, this sounds really, really solid. And I begin to advise them based upon the one th- side that I heard, only to be bit by the realization soon after that that there's a whole other perspective that needs to be heard. So I've kind of adopted a situation, a posture, when someone, one person comes to me and they're sharing their side of the story. And I'll ask them the question after they're done, what would your spouse say to what you just said? What would be the story that they would tell? Oh, very, very different. When you choose mentors, make sure you have a couple or a mentor, an individual that will say to you this. This is your side, especially when you guys are in the midst of conflict. This is your side of the story. What's the other side? What's the other side? I've had people come to me and they'll tell me that they've got counsel regarding this situation. This is what they're doing. And I'm, I happen to know both sides of the situation. I'm thinking, well, they don't have both sides of the story. Martin, you said this, but I'm going in this direction because this is what this other mentor says. I thought, well, you don't, they don't know. I don't doubt that that's the wisdom that they gave you. But the problem is, is they don't know both sides of the story. Choose mentors who are committed to you as a couple, not just you as an individual. Who seek to know both sides. And then do what they tell you. Do what they tell you. See, hearing wisdom, hearing wisdom doesn't help you grow wise by itself. Only applying it. Growing together as you work through this whole process of sympathy and humility in your relationship and you seek to grow in your relationship together around those principles. You need to make sure that you, they do, you do what they tell you to do as you work through those sticky situations. Okay? Do what they tell you to do. You can walk out of a room and say, oh, I got this great piece of advice. But it does absolutely nothing for you if you're not willing to do what they told you to do. In fact, if you harden your heart against it, and it's truly the wisdom of God, God will harden your heart. He makes that clear. So I wanted to ask you, I want to have a Q&A times here, so I'm going to invite Nate to come up here and grab this mic. As you hear this, about the need to, as you live with your spouse and build a relationship around humility and sympathy by listening to them, by learning from them, and by together pursuing wise mentors. What are you hearing? What questions do you have? What thoughts? What comments? Okay? Who would like to go first? What debates?
Martin, I love that you're doing the Q&A for this series of sermons. This is really cool. Uh, I have a, a practical question about fighting for uh, humility and sympathy. So in, in a moment, in an argument, it might feel like you don't have a humble or sympathetic bone in your body. You only feel anger, frustration, uh, but you know in your head at that moment, I should be humble and sympathetic towards my spouse. What are some strategies for, in some of those worst moments where you're only angry, what are some strategies for fighting for humility and sympathy? Great question. Paul speaks in Colossians 3 about as the result of being in Christ, you're dying to yourself, you're living with Him. He says, take off all of this fleshly stuff. Die to it. Now, it's easy to die to anger and rage and bitterness and unforgiveness when you're not feeling angry and you're not feeling a rage and you're not feeling bitter, right? Yes, I die to it, Lord. I die to it. However, that's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about dying to that stuff when you... um, when you're not experiencing it. He's talking about dying to that stuff when you start to feel it begin to grow and emerge within you. When you start to feel that anger and that rage. At that point, what Paul says in Galatians 5 is very, very key. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself. Now that word for express is energeo. It means it's working its way out. It's pressing against the resistance. It's pressing against our, our backstage garbage. It's pressing against the deeds and the desires of our flesh. You've got to realize this one thing, and that is when you want to lash out against your spouse, that's the last thing you should do. And it requires for you to reorient your mind and say, I'm not going to go there. Instead, God, I'm going to die to this because I know if I say what I'm thinking about saying and do what I would really like to do, God, I'm going to feed the beast within. And it's not only going to destroy my soul, it's going to wound my relationship with my spouse. And so it takes a a uniquely formed marriage around Christianity, around Christ. takes, and in a very deliberate way says, I choose not to go to the very place I want to go most right now. And you know what happens when you do that? What happens to me is this. Suddenly, it's like the chains can drop off. The the power of the rage, the power of those emotions can only have power over over me while I entertain them and I choose to embrace them. As soon as I say, I'm not going to go there, I'm going to, all of a sudden begins, I I start to feel the the loosening of those chains around my own heart to my own soul. Um, So there is a point where, like I said, it's really important that we choose to love and therefore grow in love rather than pursue the paradigm that says, I'm here to fall in love. Because as soon as I fall in love, then I can, quickly as I fall into love, I can fall out of love, right? If I don't love you anymore, then I have no obligation in my mind or my heart to take and to choose to love you. Choose to love, then grow in love. That's why Jesus made it very clear this Christian life is about carrying the cross. And it's about being formed by the Gospel as you carry the cross, as you die to these things.
So does that answer your question? Kind of, sort of? You're thinking, that's not very easy. And no, it's not. To kind of build off of that question, um, you say, get a hold of yourself. Don't go to that situation. How, what, what tools do you recommend when you're in the heat of the battle and the one is up here with their frustration, the other spouse is here, and this one just continues to come at you? How do you remove those chains? How do you remove yourself from that situation hmm. so that the other spouse doesn't come up and now you're... <laughs> you're in the ring and it's a cage fight. Okay, I'm going to phone a friend on that. Where's Sebastian? Sebastian, would you take the... the... Sebastian, why don't you come on up here? For those of you who don't know, Sebastian is a, psych... is a psychiatrist. Um, just, he and I chatted this last week, and I, decided, I told him, I said, you're going to be my phone a friend. <laughs> How would you answer that question? There are a couple things. Uh, the first thing is, I need to say I'm not perfect at this. I'm not sure if my wife would, would say that I am. Uh, looking at her face. Uh, the first thing is, have something in place ahead of time. So these fights are going to happen. So have something set up ahead of time. So have a key word. I need to go for a walk. I need to do this. And this doesn't mean that the fight is over. This means that I need to take a break. I need to de-escalate and we're going to come back in a specific amount of time, 15 minutes or whatever else. And this is not in the heat of the battle. This is three months, a year, three years ahead of that point in time. And as soon as those words are said, the, the whole entire dynamic changes. Each person does whatever they need to do to get that to happen. Okay, I'll take care of the kids. Uh, I'll get this stuff taken care of. And just giving that break, the fight is not over but it gives you a chance to come back together again uh, with a little bit more de-escalation. Uh, also, as you're fighting, there are some ways of fighting smarter, uh, avoiding specific kinds of phrases like you, instead of saying things like, I feel this, that also typically can help as well. Uh, I feel that when you don't take out the trash, you're not caring for me. Uh, that would be instead of, you never take out the trash. And those come across in two different ways. But there are lots of ways, and just having a uh, a plan ahead of time is uh, can really help. Mm -hmm. And just that whole thing of being willing to respect, being willing to respect the person um, who says, "I've got to step away from this," be willing to step it. Now, I've had people who's who've made that agreement, and then in the midst of the stuff, the person tries to step away, but the other person just chases them. <laughs> that never ends well. Um, you've got it. That reveals some real deep backstage stuff. And for you to be able to deal with this situation, you've got to understand that you can de-escalate the situation, um, but still, there's a backstage stuff that needs to be dealt with in your own life. And if a person chooses to continue to chase you, then that is a that is an, a, a very unhealthy situation, a very ungodly situation. And there needs to be some work done in the marriage, but also in that person who refuses to give up because they have an attitude of power. They, the reason they continue to pursue is because of power. 
It's because of manipulation. It's because they know that they, they, they really believe that they can win this argument and they don't want to give it up. They don't want to lose. So um, it's really important. There's, and there's no humility in that. There's no humility in that. And so ultimately, the situation is what it is, but realize this, the situation is really just a symptom. Okay? There's backstage stuff that ultimately needs to go, needs to happen. So, and, uh, and there's a process to deal with that. So, who else? A thing that comes to my mind, Martin, especially when I read, confronts my pride and then engage with humility and sympathy as long as my pride is in the way to engage in humility and sympathy really doesn't come about. <clears throat> For me, in my marriage, I realized at one point that I was trying to impose my will on Lorna. And I recognized that as Satan trying to destroy the sanctity of our marriage mainly because our marriage is a witness to Christ in the marriage with the church. Mm-hmm. If he can destroy a Christian marriage, he can destroy the testimony of the church. So when these heated moments come about, I have to stop and really think, am I trying to impose my will? Am I letting Satan have control here? I mean, they still happen but I deal with it in a different way, in a different mindset and attitude. Yes, yes. Just to understand, you know, the focus for us is what kind of person am I going to bring to the table in any of these circumstances? I can bring a person who is being changed by the gospel or I can be a person who is being ruled by the flesh. Okay? Now, we will all blow it, right? I mean, I've gotten so heated with my wife that I got in my my uh, truck and I left and I squealed the tires in front of my house just to let her know how angry I was. <laughs> All right? You can squeal tires in a truck, you know. Um, and I thought, that was really dumb. <laughs> but you know, what you do is that you come back and in the midst of that you say, before we say anything, I just want to say I'm sorry. I sinned against you and I sinned against God. And I sinned against the very work that God is trying to do in my life. Okay? This is the part where we are being formed by the gospel. See, the formation by the gospel in our inner man is not going to happen without confronting the enemies of our inner man. Okay? It will not happen without that. So just expect that. Okay? Someone was telling me this last week that, you know, they were, they were angry and... You know, they were supposed to come to a meeting and they got angry and, and uh, they went the very, last, the very opposite direction that God was trying to call them into. But you know what? That guy, he confessed and he said, I, I now see what was going on. Should have had a Holy Spirit. <laughs> but that's where grace is. That's where grace is. One more question. Right over there. Just a second, just a second, so everybody can hear. All right, so the, the one spouse, uh, one spouse uh, 
go to the other spouse and say, forgive me, I've sinned against you. And the other, what should the response be from the, the, from the, the, the other, other spouse? spouse? <laughs> um, it's Usually. about time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Um, may God make us gracious when someone comes to us with humility. Yeah. I, I've gone to my wife and my kids many, many, many times and had to apologize. And uh, they've always been very gracious. And just realize that even when you're mad and your spouse comes to you and you're thinking how wrong you were, humility rises, needs to rise up within us. We need to choose that humility, not our pride. We need to choose the humility that says, I forgive you, would you forgive me? Because I'll tell you what, every one of us have a part. It takes two to tango. And there's no fight that my wife ever started that I don't have a role in. Hope you guys caught that. There's no wife that I ever, there's no, there's no argument that I ever started that my wife does not have a role in. So, and sometimes those roles may not always be very clear. But just, that's where wise mentors can come in. And can help begin to probe behind the, the scenes, behind the curtain. You know, it says, you know, a, a man of understanding, a man of wisdom is like, you know, he can understand what's going on in the deep waters of your life. That which is going on behind the scene. So, okay? So, I love your questions. Um, and I am compiling those that I, that I answer and I'm keeping track of those that I don't because I do want to have a, a, a session where we just deal with that, those unanswered questions. So, and that's where I'm going to phone a friend as well. So, okay? Okay, Joan, I can't turn you down, Joni. <laughs> well, Herb and I have been married for 64 years. And, yeah, that's a long time. <laughs> Twice as long as Kim and I were. Yeah, have been. <laughs> and we still love each other. And even though, uh, I mean, through the years you have your problems, like you said, and so forth, but we have learned one thing, that no matter what kind of a day we've had, when we go to bed at night... We never go to sleep unless we say, I love you. And that's my advice to everybody. Mm -hmm. Now, it might be, I love you, but <laughs> at least you get it out, you know. At least you get it out. I, had so much more, I have so much more stuff in my notes, so let's continue on. Not really. Uh, I do have more stuff, but uh, we'll, continue on, um, we'll continue on this track. All right, because I think it is important, very important for us to understand. As, as one person, wise person said to me, Martin, I agree with you. Friendship is one of the most abused, one of the greatest, one of the missing pieces within our marital relationships. So, but just keep in mind, it doesn't come back to technique. It comes back to the gospel and to Jesus changing us from the inside out. You could read Friendship Factor. You could read um, Seven Habits of a Highly Effective Couple. You can read all that stuff and great, have great techniques. But we're not about putting techniques up on, on top of the old man. The Gospel and Jesus, the Gospel is like a virus that we take and we plug into our lives and it begins to rewrite the source code of the old man. Okay? It's not something that we just slap on top of the old man. 
It's something that begins to rewrite us from the inside out. Okay? So techniques, as good as they may and helpful as they may be, they don't fix the source problem. Only the gospel, the power of the gospel, can fix the core issue. That's why I want to keep coming back to that. Okay? Amen? Amen. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the power that is within us, that has been planted there, placed there by your Holy Spirit. Lord, may you take and continue to do a work in our lives. Lord, make us people who aren't just being better friends, but Lord, we're being with our spouse. Lord, we are being becoming a different kind of person and we're bringing that to the table by the power of Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.